Well, this week, the Kilcoin Conversation is multiple conversations, talking with a number of folks who knew Jim Hannafin so well. Coach Hanny, as so many people knew him, just simply as Hanny, coaching legend, offensive line guru, but also just a lot of fun from his days as the head coach of the Big Red. I mean, I grew up in St. Louis, and on Sunday nights, you'd watch those post-game press conferences because Hanny would have that cigarette dangling. <laughs> they were still smoking. They were smoking everywhere in those days, and he would stare right into the cameras. Oh, by golly, these buggers got us this week. We'll get them next time. He was just so much fun to watch. And then in later years, being around him at Rams Park, so many charity events over the years, just love hearing the stories. And I thought the most fitting tribute for a guy who was known for telling a lot of stories was to have his former players and former colleagues tell stories about him. So that's what we did. We've got Dick Vermeil, Orlando Pace, Adam Timmerman, and Dan Deardorff. What a collection of people who can tell some great stories that work side-by-side with Hanny. Hope you'll enjoy it. We're going to roll through all of these, and there's certainly a theme here. Hanny loved to enjoy life. He loved to tell a good story and maybe a cigarette or two. I think you'll laugh at some of these, and that's what Hanny would want in remembering his life. Jim Hannafin died at the age of 87. Three stints in St. Louis with the Big Red as an O-line coach, later the head coach for the football Cardinals, and then as an assistant with the St. Louis Rams, won in a Super Bowl with Dick Vermeil. Also won a Super Bowl in Washington with Joe Gibbs as the O-line coach. So let's get to it. The Kilcoin Conversation is presented by Triad Bank. Find them online at triadbanking.com. Also, Marie de Villa Senior Living right at the corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. The Christmas tree is up. It's beautiful. Drive by. It's worth the trip. MarieDeVilla.com where you can take a virtual tour for senior living and also appliance discounters for area locations find them on the web theappliancediscounters.com we'll lead things off with the coach dick Vermeil. i wanted to start with this coach you know before hannafin worked with you in st louis on your staff how well did you know him and, and what did you know of him before you guys actually were on the same staff well, i met him met him years and years and years ago and i of course i coached against him but then when he, he was at San Diego State and I was at UCLA and the Rams, I would go down and spend time there. And when he was on Coriel's staff as an assistant there, I remember when he left Charter Oak High School and went to uh, University of Utah, I think 19, uh, 1966 or so. Yeah, I was at Stanford at that time. So I, I go way back to the uh, early 60s when Tell me about putting him on your staff in St. Louis. He'd had a good run in this town twice, really, with the football Cardinals. Uh, give me an idea of what it meant to you to have him join you with the Rams. Well, when I came here, he was one of my first thoughts, you know, having coached against him here uh, when he was an assistant coach and when he was a head coach. And always, whenever you're around him, you know, he's such an infectious guy. was that you really got to know him. And uh, I knew he loved St. Louis. And I called the head coach at the Redskins and asked for permission to talk to Jim. And uh, he gave me permission because he thought uh, he didn't want to lose him, but he knew Jim would love to, to finish career coaching in St. Louis if he could. So it was a, a win-win, really. But Jim got to do what he wanted to do, come to St. Louis, and I got the coach I wanted. So it, it, it worked out very smoothly. And your first St. Louis pick, your building block, really, with Orlando Pace, 
And then you've got Coach Hannafin working with him side by side. Tell me a little bit about that relationship and what you think Hanny did for O. Well, you know, as soon as I became the head coach and uh, was involved in the organization with the draft with Charlie Army, John Becker, John Shaw, Jay Zygmunt, all those people, uh, I started talking about let's move up and get Orlando Pace because I'd watched him play his college career as a broadcaster. And I just always felt if you we were going to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, especially high, you draft a guy you think is a potential Hall of Famer. And I really felt Orlando Pace was a, a, a couldn't miss be a Hall of Famer somewhere down the road. And then to be able to bring Jim Hannafin there to hone all these skills, you know. Uh, and once he got gone, you know, once we got him signed and got him in camp, uh, Jim Hannafin started putting his personal touch mentally and physically and technique-wise into Orlando's career and put him in the Hall of Fame. First off, he started with a great talent. Orlando is just an extremely gifted athlete, regardless of what size, but happened to be at that time about 340. And they developed a good personal relationship. You know, and, and Jim was that kind of guy, as you know, Mike, that uh, he, uh, whenever he worked with somebody, they, they knew he cared about him. And it didn't matter if you were a backup third-string guy, a second-string guy, or an all-pro guy. Uh, he coached you the same, treated you the same, and respected you the same, and disciplined you the same, and corrected you the same. And uh, therefore, the, he was able to develop such great communication skills with his players. You know, and, uh, when he spoke, they listened, and many times he made them laugh. You know? Even when he was mad at him, you know, he had that unique ability, Martin. So, uh, uh, you know, you put Orlando Pace and him together. I can remember being on the practice field the very first, first few days. Orlando was in uniform. His memory was late in getting signed. And uh, Hannafin would come off the field and just drooling, just raving about the athleticism and the skills that this kid had and how excited he was to work with the guy like did Hannafin ever crack you guys up in the coaches' meetings? I mean, what, years later, we hear all these stories. And he, he's as funny as hell. I mean, what about in the meeting rooms? Ever, did, could he break a tense moment up for you guys? Yeah, you know, he had that way about him. Even when we, he was mad, sometimes he could make you smile, you know, the way he would express himself. But, uh, you know, he was a very intense worker, regardless of his – his humor and everything else when he was in there working study, I can remember he and I always sort of took charge of goal line short yardage our first two years working together and working late, late, early morning and sitting in there. And uh, he would, he could make hard work fun in, in the meeting and a film study. And it was never an ego thing that he had to win the point, you know, uh, just uh, his communication skills as gifted as they were, weren't limited to just the players. It was also to the fellow assistant coaches. He always treated everybody with great respect and admiration. And, uh, and, and he would add some humor because he always wanted to interject a story when we were discussing something. You know, It didn't matter what the topic. If, if we were running off tackle, he could remember a play he ran against the Buffalo Bills were the first year they were playing football in Buffalo, you know, and he'd get into the theory that, or if we were organizing drills, well, I can remember when we put first put this drill in at San Diego or, you know, it's just, he just had that ability. Every once in a while I'd say, Jim, let's get on with it. You know, <laughs> we don't, 
don't need any more stories, but uh, 90% of them were productive and made a contribution and made everybody uh, uh, relax and, and concentrate. I always, I always felt like when he would say, and so on and so forth, that it was the end of the story. But, and so on and so forth was just kind of like a, a, an abridged to the next part of the story, man. He, I know, he hardly had time to catch a breath. <laughs> In fact, Mike White, my assistant who came with me, having been with the Raiders as head coach, uh, nicknamed him Yarns. Okay, here comes Yarns. And, of course, they were both University of California, Pappy Waldorf guys. So that there was a lot of stories there just between the two of them and their Golden Bear years, you know. So uh, unique, yeah. How about the story? And I think, wasn't it Hanny and Coach Martz played the prank on you to pretend like he was dying on the stretcher? What, take us through that story. You know, I don't know. I know he had a heart attack or a slight heart attack at work one night about 11 o'clock. And at first I didn't know. I, I thought he was just playing around, but it was serious. And then, and, and in fact, we, we went to, to emergency. He went to emergency and he, had, he took a day off and came back and he was fine, fortunately. But I... Uh, I don't remember the incident involving Mike and him playing the trick on me. It might have been later where the guys, maybe Hanny did it to Martz because yeah. had, I think maybe because he'd had the issue with you that was serious, then I think they did one to Mike yeah. trying to trick him or something terrible. But only, only Hanny could make light of the fact that he had previously. Oh, yeah. Really? No, he could do that. Yeah. Do you think the animated character, you know, personality, whatever, some people overlook what a technician he was, a tactician, and, you know, like, don't let that big personality fool you in terms of how much football acumen he had. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. he was the best. He was among the best offensive line coaches ever. You know, and Don Coriel made an offensive line coach out of him in San Diego State. He wasn't an offensive lineman. He was a receiver. He held, I think, 1954, he led the nation in receiving at Cal, then signed and went to Canada, played a year there, and got – drafted in the service, then came back and started coaching in high school. But uh, Coriel was the one that made a line coach out of him. And I think he did it because of his personality. And then he really became, as he gained reputation and, and people saw his linemen play, uh, he started gaining the reputation as he's the guru of the NFL of line coaches. You know, they have their own little fraternity and he was sort of the headmaster. You know, and I think over a two-year period one time, they only gave eight sacks in St. Louis. And part of the time, they were pounding on my eagle. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah, he became uh, the fundamental expert, uh, uh, a design guy. Geez, how about at Washington Redskins, counter gap? You know, everybody stole that and started running it. Yeah, they ran it. Nobody ever ran it as well as they did or as often, you know. <laughs> but... He had the ability to recognize what players could do and then ask them to do it often and then improve them in, in their ability to do it. You know, just one of those guys. Because he'd been a head coach, was that something, too, that you could lean on because he'd been in that – he knew what it was like on Sundays to have the headset? I mean, is that something that helped you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, Jim was always in control. You know, normally game day I stood right next to him. I can remember standing next to him when we went up 20 points – uh, 20 to nothing against the 49ers, our third year there. And I turned to Jim and I said, Jim, you know something? This guy can play. <laughs> Kurt had thrown three touchdowns. I think it was in the first quarter. We hadn't beaten him in 17 games and we're ahead 20 to nothing. And Handy and I are looking and rolling our eyes and smiling from then on. 
on the radio side, when he started calling Rams games, he worked in Jiminy Christmas and Golly G. Willikers. And I said, that, that's Hanny's version of saying the S word or the F word. I, he, he could, I don't know that he could conduct most conversations without a few salty words, could he? Well, he, he had a way. He had a way uh, about him and expressing different terms. Once you're around him, you get used to him and you, because you've heard him before. You know, you can almost anticipate his reaction. But I'll tell you, in the intense times and meetings and game planning, uh, great focus, understanding, a great uh, ability to say, guys, you know, talk to me, Mike, Mark will tell you this. Hey, I think this and this and this, and you'd listen to it. Yeah. And I almost felt like players, even though he could be demanding, but they didn't want to let him down. Like, yeah. they, they kind of respected him enough. They're like, all right, we got to do this for Hanny. I can hear – Timmerman and McCollum and these guys in my head right now talking about Hanny this, Hanny that. And I almost felt like that, that, as silly as that sounds in the football world, like they just were determined not to let him down. Well, that's when they knew he cared. They knew Jim sincerely cared about his players. And when that happens, players start caring about the guy that cares about them. It becomes infectious. And it, it, it rubs off. You know, Adam Timmerman came here in, in 1999, having uh, been a free agent from Green Bay and having been a free agent out of college for Grummings. And, and Henny helped put him in the Pro Bowl. A good player, great human being. In fact, I just communicated with him the day before yesterday. But, uh, you know, Jim, you know, just one of those. I worked with one other guy, Bill McPherson, who later was coordinator – 49ers was sort of that kind of guy, almost built the same, that could be chewing you out and correcting your mistake and making you smile at the same time, <laughs> you know, and, and you, as the person being reprimanded or, or corrected, uh, agreeing with everything he's saying, you know, he just had that way about him. You know, I, very few people have that gift. Coach Vermeil, always a class act, stories about Hannafin and being in the coaching room, coaching against him. Dick Vermeil, by the way, recently turned 84. He looks like a million bucks. Now we'll switch the conversation to Orlando Pace, drafted by Vermeil and the Rams in Coach Vermeil's first year, 1997, and Orlando Pace coached up by Coach Hanny. We'll get to O'Pace. Remember, the Kilcoin conversation available on iTunes, Google, Spotify. Make sure you subscribe. That way it is delivered directly to you. Whatever the conversation happens to be about, last week, fun talk with Trevor Rosenthal. We've had Craig Berube and Chris Pronger, you name it. Make sure you subscribe so the Kilcoin conversation is delivered directly to you. Right now, we'll tee it up with Orlando Pace. When you first arrived, what did you know about Hannafin? He obviously had a great reputation, but you're a young guy coming from Ohio State. Did you know much about Hanny? You know what? I, I didn't, uh, to be honest. And then once I got here, because... Obviously, I never even took a pre-draft visit to the city of St. Louis, so I didn't meet the coaching staff. I was only meeting with the top three or four coaches, uh, teams at the time, and, and the Rams were selecting at number six. Uh, so I didn't know a, a lot about him. But once I got here, I understand his 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 lineage, and, and you know he coached the Hogs, and that, that, you know, and, and and just his his tutelage was 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 phenomenal. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, as I said many times. Uh, to be coached by by Coach Hannafin, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, in terms of professional career, uh, my development as a player, um, you know, second to none. He, you know, he, he's, uh, I attribute a lot of my success to to his, what, what he taught me over the years. Was he hard on you? I feel like I've heard stories where he said to you, 
you could end up in Canton if you do it right. I mean, how, tell me how he motivated you. Well, it, you know, the thing about it is when I first got in St. Louis, the expectations were so high. And one thing I really respect about Coach Hannafin and what he did was, um, you know, he was patient. Uh, you know, he was one of those guys that said, hey, we're not going to put you out there until you're ready. And we really stripped back my game entirely and really, uh, really taught technique, fundamentals of the game. Um, obviously, being a number one pick, you think you got the game figured out. But, you know, he, we stripped all that away and really focused on technique. And, and um, I think that's that's missed in today's game. Um, coaches don't have that ability to really teach and develop. And uh, that's what Coach Andy did for me. I asked Coach Vermeil, I said, when you're in a meeting room with him, even if it's tense or what, I would think he'd make you laugh. Or if you guys are in the film room, it's just the old line, I would think, hey, listen here, you son of a bitch. I mean, I could see him like breaking the silence or after a bad loss or something. Give me an idea of what he was like when it was just your small group. Well, it was great. Um, obviously, we had some, some pretty lean years, uh, first couple years. Uh, and, you know, he made it, I wouldn't say enjoyable, but, you know, obviously it was all about us because um, the press would write terrible things about us and say different things, but he always made it about us, and he always stayed the course. He was always balanced in who he was as a coach. I told the same stories no matter what, but, but you know, wholeheartedly believed in who we were, what we were capable of, and, and tried to put us in the best situations really to have success. Do you ever look at Timmerman or any of the guys in the room and go, oh, God, here we go, this story. I, whatever he would say and so on and so forth, that wasn't the end of the story. It was still going to go. Did he ever get rolling? You guys looked around and said, oh, boy, here he goes. Oh, yeah. The great thing about Coach Handy early on, he never really got rolling that much because he had to take his 30-minute cigarette breaks. And it, <laughs> so we would meet for about 30 minutes, and I, we knew he had to go. But uh, he, he would say some things. And we had some characters in our room, too, uh, the Mike Grudadorias of the world, the Timmerman, the McCullums, and – Obviously, if he said something, they would not let it die. And uh, we've had it. We always had a good time because he was always he, although he was a teacher, um, he understood the balance between, you know, still having a good time and, and being respectful and putting in the work. He used Jiminy Christmas and Golly G. Willikers in public. But I got the sense behind closed doors. It was a little more colorful than that. He was a little more colorful, but he never, I, I can honestly say, I've never really seen him get on a guy in front of the entire crew. Now, I've had some, some instances where he wanted me to stay back behind meetings, and we had a conversation, and, hey, Orlando, you have to do this, or you have to do that. But he never, he never embarrassed us in front of, or, you know, went pretty hard on us in front of the entire unit, which was one of the things I really respected about him. And I don't know if it's the, the animated storytelling guy or the crazy Harry. He always looked like the mad professor to me and cigarette dangling. <laughs> but I wonder if people realize just how smart he was, that football acumen that he had. Because you'd see him and you're like, oh, he's a fun guy and he'll tell you a great story. But really, I hope it wasn't overlooked how great a technician he was. Oh uh, Yeah, hopefully so. I think you hear all the stories to your point, Martin. You hear all the stories about – you know, you see him and you, and you laugh and we have a good time and, and all those things. But, you know, obviously he was he was he was always focused. Uh, you know, the year we won the Super Bowl, that run game, people didn't think we ran the ball. You know, obviously he orchestrated that and, and designed most of those runs. And one thing I really liked, even even in his coach March days, he would stand up for for the run game when people thought we should pass, uh, you know, 50 times a game. And he really designed that. And he really stood up for us in that room. So uh, as players, we always respect that. 
do you think you would have made it to the Hall of Fame no matter what, or how much of a role do you think he was in you ending up there? I think it was. I think it was a big part of it, just uh, because most coaches just throw you in the fire and you sink or swim. Um, and then, but you know, there's other coaches that that really developed, and I was fortunate not only with him, but Coach Vermeil to, to be patient. Uh, number one, select the offensive tackle with the first pick, which probably wasn't as popular, but to take that time and develop. We used to do cone drills where, you know, countless, you know, hours after practice and just the same thing. And it seems real tedious, but, you know, obviously it was those things that really helped me focus and, and, and really narrow down on my game and, and uh, you know, get it going a little bit. There's a famous story, and Coach Vermeil says it wasn't him. I think they did it to March where they pretended Hanny was not dying, but he was laying on the stretcher, and then he jumps off of it or something. I don't know if McCollum and Timmerman orchestrated it. Do, do you ever hear that story where Hanny kind of messed with March a little bit, pretending to be ill? You know what? There's so many stories. I, I hadn't heard that one. That might have been a coach's story or something. I hadn't heard that one, but uh, there's so many different stories uh, that, that we could tell about Coach Hannah. I know mine was – Right, a paraffin wax donut story was probably my favorite story of all time. I'm sure you probably heard it too, Martin, but it, it was a pretty, you know, he had countless stories. Well, it's what? He would eat the Krispy Kremes, and so Timmerman and McCollum said, let's put some Vaseline on there and see if he notices. They said he didn't notice? Yeah, he was supposed to be on a diet, so he was trying to stay away from the Krispy Kreme donuts. And then Ryan Tucker went in and put it in paraffin wax, sat two donuts in there, and Ryan felt so bad he came back to the room but Hannafin had already downed both of the donuts and it was <laughs> and we felt bad because you know we didn't want you know you know him to get sick or ill or anything like that from that whack. So but it was funny. Coach Vermeil said even sometimes when he was mad, he'd make you laugh. Were there times he was screaming at your whole group and you kind of still just again, I keep coming back to that like mad scientist look, but would you yeah. guys ever crack up? And he's like, it's not funny, you idiots. I mean Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's exactly what it is. If somebody will make a joke and you know. Golly gee, you know, he didn't, you know, one of those things, but he, you're like, how can you really be mad at somebody saying golly gee in terms of when somebody makes a block or something like that? So, uh, you know, I, he was a joy. He was really a joy to be around, and I, I was really fortunate to, to have him in my, as a part of my career. Hey, but a final thought here. Let me ask you an Ohio State question. How good are your Buckeyes? And even in this weird year, what does it mean? to alumni and fan base for them to go as far as they can? Or do, do Buckeye fans say, well, this year is not that big a deal? Or is there no such thing for that fan base of letting up? No, no, no. We're ready to go. We're fired up. Uh, last week had me a little nervous. That was the first time uh, I saw Justin Justin Fields a little rattled uh, against Indiana. And they're a good ball, cl ball team, ball club. But, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're focused. We're, we're trying to win. I think we've, we've, uh, we have a good team. Uh, you know, obviously it's the team that can stay the healthiest, the longest. And uh, if you can string some games along and, and, you know, get into that, that playoff picture, that's exactly where you want to be. And, you know, obviously we got enough talent to do that. So, but I'm a little biased. I, I say that every year, but uh, I, I do think this is one of the better Ohio state teams. Wouldn't the Michigan game be more fun if they won every once in a while? I know. I, I know. I, you know, I, I, as much as look, so that's like a small win for me on Saturdays when they lose or when they go to triple overtime against Rutgers or something. But I, I do want them to be a little bit better because it makes that game at the end of the year that much, that much special, that much even, more special. I was, even if they're down a little bit, though, that's still for your group, still huge. You got to like no matter no matter if they're good or bad, it doesn't matter. You got to beat them. You got to beat them no matter what. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, you know, it's always still the game no matter what. It's a rivalry game. 
Uh, so, you know, you got to go out and play no matter how good or bad they, they, they might be that year. We still got to go out and, 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 and win that game. And we'll stay on the O-line and move over a little bit for the pro bowler, Adam Timmerman, who played in St. Louis. He and the Donut brother, Andy McCollum, had a lot of fun razzing Coach Hanny over the years. And then when Hanny retired, the offensive line, Timmerman, McCollum, and others chipped in and gave Jim Hannafin and his wife, Mariana, a trip to Ireland. They were extremely close. Adam these days living back in Iowa, Cherokee, Iowa, where he is from, still farming and uh, checking in with us here. The Kilcoin Conversation presented by Triad Bank, Marie Davila Senior Living, and Appliance Discounters. They're on the web at theappliancediscounters.com. The former pro bowler, Adam Timmerman. I'm curious, when you got to St. Louis, you signed the free agent deal, and Hanny's going to be your O-line coach. How much did you know about him as a coach before you got there? Well, before I got there, I didn't know too much at all, but uh, he picked me up from the airport on my visit. Uh, coach Hannafin and Coach Matsko, of course, Matsko uh, had just gotten there, um, but he was hilarious from the get-go. I mean, he was, uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know anything about him, but it was he was funny. It was my wife and I, and uh, him and Coach Matsko picked me up at the airport, and Oh, you know, he's just a classic. You could follow him around with a video camera and make uh, America's Funniest Home Videos just on a daily basis with him. But uh, um, just I totally hit it off. And uh, I can't remember. We, he took he took me for my physical and, uh, you know, he would he would park in the handicapped spot and he goes, it's OK, I'll just limp, you know. And uh, so <laughs> he was a classic from from the second I, I met him. I mean, it was it was funny. And, and yeah, I had no idea, but then uh, just as I got to know him over the years, I, did, I didn't realize really just how big of a legend he was and how many players that uh, he had coached and and uh, just, I mean, how passionate he was about football and um, just loved the guys and everybody loved him too. I, I don't think I ever heard him say a bad word about anybody. You had success in Green Bay, but in St. Louis, you end up in the Pro Bowl. How much did Coach Haney make you better? Oh, he was the kind of guy you wanted to play for. That's for sure. Um, I mean, you wanted to do, do your best um, anyway, but it was like for him, um, you just wanted to play harder. And I think all the guys, all, all five of us, whoever was on the field, um, you wanted to play harder for. And he, he was passionate when he'd come in on Wednesday mornings, which was run install day, and he'd be installing, you know, fullback dive. And at age 70 or whatever his last few seasons were, he was passionate about installing fullback dive, which is the most basic play you could ever install. Uh, and he would come in. He was all fired up about fullback dive on Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. And, and I'm like, man, I hope whatever I'm doing the rest of my life, I hope I'm passionate like he is on Wednesday mornings. So, uh, But there's so many handy stories out there, too. It's just we've been, we've been telling some over, over text and, and talking about a lot of them the last couple of days here now. But, um, yeah, he just, uh, you know, had had a such a positive uh, effect on everybody and one time I asked uh, I asked Fred Miller because I said we had coach Matsko and they kind of did the the good cop bad cop routine I said well when before coach Matsko then who'd you guys have then well we had uh, Big Ed and I'm like well which one was bad cop was Big Ed bad cop he goes no it it was good cop and better cop (laughs) so uh, Matsko kind of brought that uh, you had to have the bad cop uh, routine going in the the meeting room because Hanny was such a great guy I asked Orlando, I said, if he ever got mad, but he had kind of that crazy hair, like the mad scientist and cigarette dangling out of his mouth. Like, was it hard to like not? And I said, if you laugh, then you kind of piss him off, right? Like, 
hey, you buggers, this isn't funny. Like, how much fun in that room did you guys have when it's just your group? Uh, we, I mean, we absolutely had a blast every day. Um, probably one of the funniest meeting room stories was, uh, you know, after he had his heart attack at the facility, um, they said, okay, now you got to, you got to, you know, stop drinking and stop smoking. And um, once in a while, we'd come in the meeting room, we'd like smell a little smoke. And then ah, we just, no, couldn't, you know, couldn't be whatever. And we were going through uh, some drawers back there. We, we, you know, that we had that little dinette area behind our meeting room. And we're, we're going through the drawers, getting some utensils one day. And we find a pack of cigarettes back in the way back of the one of the drawers. So he'd been sneaking some cigarettes. So we said, OK, hey, we're going to get coach. We're going to come in uh, before our afternoon meeting to watch the film. And we're all going to light up cigarettes. So we, we took his pack of cigarettes and we divvied out all the cigarettes to everybody. So we're in the meeting room. We're all sitting there with a lit up cigarette. And he walks in and he's like, oh, you guys are bad. You guys wasted a perfectly good pack of cigarettes. <laughs> so we, uh, we busted him. He hadn't truly quit. He's just been, he just cut down on him, I guess. <laughs> well, I, and I know you guys loved him because the greatest gift for him might have been to go to Ireland. Tell me about that gift and, and how you surprised him with it. Yeah, his uh, his retirement gift. We all chipped in and, and got him a trip to Ireland because he, he was pretty proud of his Irish heritage and and uh, we just knew he would love that trip. But um, yeah, we just he's just one of those people who um, cared about everybody. I know there was a guy who um, I'm sure Hanny knew in the morning the guy was going to get cut and Hanny was out there coaching him up, you know, in, in that afternoon practice. And sure enough, he got cut that evening and. Um, I know, I know Hanny knew he was going to get cut, but he would coach everybody up. Um, he didn't care, you know, if he was going to get cut and be on a different team. He wanted to help that guy be the best he could be. And, and I think he'd seen everything you could see over however many years he coached. But um, he, just, he just cared about his players, and his players just cared about him. One of my favorite things, too, in the locker room before the games, he would come around and, and he would grab you behind the head, and he'd, he'd lean in and be like, don't race them out, you know, and he'd go right, right down the line to everybody sitting in their locker before the game. And he, he'd do that. And I, I just think it, it was one of my favorite things to be on the receiving end of that little hug grab thing that he did. And uh, I think everybody in the locker room probably agreed, but he didn't care that that day on game day, he'd go from every offensive guy to every defensive guy and, and, and give him that little, that little grab hug. And, and uh, he was just so passionate about, about the guys and, and playing the game of football. Um, that, that he just he was just awesome to have around the locker room. It's funny just talking about him. I can hear stories in my head. There was a draft pick one year, an old lineman, young guy, and Jim Thomas from the paper is going to write about him. And we were all kind of kicking around what our stories were up in Macomb. And so I think we're sitting in the lobby at that Thompson Hall or something, and and Jim Thomas is like, I, I, uh, Andy, real quick, I, uh, I'm going to do a little piece on that kid, you know, from so-and-so, and uh, I want to write a little piece. And Andy goes, better do it quick. Because <laughs> I think the kid was about to get cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Orlando said something that was interesting about during Greatest Show on Turf and when it got real pass heavy and then, you know, a lot of success with Kurt and then the Mike March offense. But he said Hanny would always fight for the run game. That yeah. said, ah, buggers, we got to run this ball or whatever. Do you recall that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course, of course, he wanted to run and we wanted to run when it came down to, hey, we got it. We got a pretty good lead going. Let's run the football, you know, let's cram it down their throat. So, but yeah, we had to have somebody lobbying for the run somewhere. So, and that was Hanny. And, and in terms of his acumen, you know, I, I've said this now to coach for meal and with Orlando and because we always were laughing when we were around him, it, 
it almost you kind of forget. Now, this guy was a real serious competitor and a real knowledgeable football guy. And even though we had fun being around him, I guess never underestimate the fact that he knew this game really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was he was a technique guy. Um, he taught a lot of technique. I think that's how he really helped develop some young players. Um, and him and my old coach in Green Bay, Tom Lavad, somewhere along the line, they they were coaching together. Um, so he liked my technique. That was one thing he wanted me to bring me here uh, for was that technique. And and uh, but yeah, he 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 also knew the technique well enough, but also wanted to adapt it to the person because everybody does it just a little bit different. But Hanny just had that way about um, he was real intense uh, when he had to be, and then obviously knew how to have fun when it was time to have fun, and and just. Cause those seasons get long too. You know, you know that it's, man, it's a long grueling season and to be in meetings and watching film and those kind of things, you got to have a little sense of humor once in a while. And, but when you got to get down and, and work and, and get down to business, you got to do that too. So, and he had that, he had that kind of unique way of tying in work, but making it fun. Um, <laughs> there's so many funny stories about being over at his house, uh, like after mini camp between mini camp and training camp, we'd always go over and we'd grill out. And, um, we'd, uh, it'd be me and probably me and Andy would be on the grill. And, and I remember Freddie Miller and, and Ryan Tucker and, uh, Mike Grudadori and those guys, they'd be, they'd be inside and we'd always wash dishes afterwards because Mariana had to go out to Lake Tahoe and get the cabin ready, you know? And, and, uh, so one year and he's like, guys, I finally got smart. I got the chinette, the paper plates, you know? So, okay. So we were taking our steak and we're taking our baked potato and everything. We go sit down around there, this old antique table that they had uh, refinished and everything. And we go to get up. One of the guys gets up and we see this, this little circular gray spot on the table. The baked potatoes had left, they had burned a hole, like not a hole, but they had left a burn mark in the table. And we're just like, Oh no, how are we going to get this thing fixed before Mariana sees it? You know? And, and that woman was a saint really. Cause uh, he just, uh, you know, he cut a wide path. If it was worth doing, he did it twice, you know? So then did, you ever, did you ever start a story in the meeting rooms and you guys look at each other? Oh no, here we go. We're going to, we were, we were just about out of here. <laughs> yeah. He could tell a story and they, they, they really, the, the unique thing about Hanny's stories was this. Most stories have a beginning and a, and a, the body of it and an end. It's just kind of, we're just a story. <laughs> It went on. And, and in case it wasn't funny, it just went right into the next story. You really didn't know you came to the end of the one story. <laughs> oh, so usually, true. Usually now, I've been trying to get to the bottom of this. There's a story where I think he did it to mess with Coach Martz, but where he was uh, – did he pretend to, like, be ailing? He's laying on the stretcher, then he hopped up, or he did something. And I don't know who was in on it. I've been trying to figure out who would – maybe Mike, i got to ask him about it. But did you ever hear that story where he pretended to be – carted off of the building, but he actually hopped off the stretcher or something. It, it wasn't when he had his heart attack, was it? Because he was messing with the EMTs. And uh, I think he's like, Oh, that, you know, he grabs his chest and, and they're like, what, 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 you know? And then uh, he was, he's like, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's like, you can't joke about that, Jim. You're on a stretcher because you had, you know, had chest pains. Maybe that's what it was. It was when Vermeil was head coach, but March was there and was worried sick and yeah. Hannafin's messing around and Mike is getting all, ticked off because he's like, Andy, stop it. It's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. I think it was when they were carting him out from the heart attack or, or supposed heart attack. That's probably what it was for sure. Well, yeah. fun to tell stories, an absolute legend. And when, when it's time, when the time is right, 
you know what Hanny would want, which is all you guys together and everyone telling stories and maybe having a cold beer or two. You know that's what he wants. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. He would have it no other way. And we're going to close things out. Hitting cleanup for us, Dan Deardorff, the Hall of Famer, extremely close to Jim Hannafin and his family. I don't know if anybody tells a story with more command, more humor than Dan Deardorff. And I, I was la- we, we did it via Zoom. I was laughing out loud. Some of these stories, especially picturing the smoke rolling through in the coaches' rooms down at the Old Bush Stadium. Uh, Dan Deardorff is... He is the man when it comes to telling stories. So we've gone from Vermeil, Pace, Timmerman. We'll close it out with Dan Deardorff. I think with coaches, it's hard to be both loved and respected, yet it seemed like he definitely fit both categories. Uh, that he was, Martin. Um, universally respected uh, in terms of his coaching ability. Uh, and If we want to just discuss that, uh, his – Ability to coach the offensive line, in my estimation, was unparalleled. Uh, we haven't even, you don't even have to get around to his personality. If he had zero personality at all, he'd be remembered as a superlative football coach. But then obviously, as we all know, that was just a small part of the complete Hannaford package. Well, we all got to hear the stories over the years, but I'm wondering when you were with him, he was a little bit younger. He couldn't have collected too many stories at that point, or was he even telling yarns back then? Well, he, yeah, he never had uh, problems telling stories when he was uh, uh, when he was younger. They were more or less. Uh, I heard a lot of his college stories, uh, 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 late nights uh, uh, where somebody. Uh, uh, got overly aggressive. See, Jim had an Irish temper, and uh, I think uh, in uh, in the, his home state of California, there are more than a few guys who uh, woke up the next morning and went, "Where? How did I get this black eye?" <laughs> because I think it was at the other end of a of a of a Hannaford fist. How did he coach? Was he a screamer? Was he a motivator? How did he make you better? And do you, th- I asked Orlando Pace this, do you think you get to Canton without his influence? Well, you know, you know, I always gave the Hall of Fame uh, said that when you select a presenter, when you're going to pick the person to present you, the criteria they wanted you to use was the person that was the largest influence and had the most effect on your NFL career. Uh, because I considered asking my college coach, Bo Schembechler, uh, I considered, you know, guys like Jim Hart or Jackie Smith or, or Conrad. But when they, when they boiled it down to that criteria of the, the person that had more to do with it than anyone else, uh, for me, it was an open and shut case that uh, that I asked Coach Hannafin to to present me because that yes, that's how large of an influence he had on my on my career. How did he do it? Did he say you got this ability? Let's let's go for it. Did he yell at you? Did he hug you? How did how did he get the best out of you? Well, he was um, uh, his decision making. First of all, uh, when he got there, I was playing left tackle. Uh, back then in the seventies, 
uh, your dominant tackle was your right tackle. Uh, teams were were decidedly right-handed back then. Uh, r- the run game was more important than the passing game. And, and so what he did, Ernie McMillan was our uh, right tackle and our Pro Bowl right tackle. And uh, Jim uh, went to Ernie and said, Ernie, I'm telling you, I think we'll be a better line if you would move over to left tackle. Um, uh, it was a great sacrifice by Ernie McMillan. In terms of his acumen, do you think later in life people didn't realize just how great a coach he was because he was such an entertainer and such a storyteller? I think as he got older, you're right. I think fewer people thought of him as a football coach and more of Jim Hannafin, the personality. How about some favorite stories? Do you have a few? Adam Timmerman said they would hide his cigarettes and then he'd come into the meeting room, they'd all be smoking them. And how about, did you guys mess with him back in the day? We had a stop and think about it. I mean, uh, I'm sitting in there with Conrad Dobler and Tom Banks and Bob Young. A couple of these guys were, were in need of psychiatric help. And, and Jim, Jim had to deal with that on a, on a daily basis. And um, yeah, there, there were times where he had to put his arm around you. There were times when he had to kick you in the butt. Uh, there were times when he had to, uh, where he would look at one of us in just nothing short of disgust, going seriously. That's that's how you're going to act. And for a guy who said "Golly gee Willikers" and "Jiminy Christmas" on a regular basis, you would think that would be in place of swear words. Yet he sort of lived with both. Well, I I can honestly tell you that in my career with Jim Hannafin. I never heard him say G. Willikers. Uh, I, I never heard him say, golly darn, son of a gun. I never heard any of that. Jim Hannafin, uh, God bless him, he took profanity and made it an art form. It was, and as he, in our meetings, first of all, you know, we met in a windowless bunker of a room at Bush Stadium. We, you know, there was no light coming into that room. And Hannafin smoked up a storm. Uh, Bob Young smoked up a storm. Conrad smoked up a storm. We're trying to watch film. And that back then, it wasn't video. It was the old film. We had a projector. It looked like Casablanca in there. It looked, it looked like a sea. <laughs> it's clouds of smoke and the and you know the light shining through that smoke, and uh, you know Hannafin, of course, speaking. His speaking had a cadence because he had to interrupt his speech every now and then to take a drag on a cigarette. It, I, I inhaled more for a guy who never smoked. I've inhaled more secondhand smoke than anyone ever had a right to do. I should have sued. I really should have. <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable. Hey, when I got, you know, the guys today wouldn't believe it. When I joined the Cardinals in 1971, I walked into the locker room at Bush Stadium. Every locker had a built-in ashtray. That's that's how much these guys smoked back then. It was it was amazing. And Hannafin would sneak cigarettes 
out on the field during games and what he 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 learned how to cup a cigarette so he could hide it because the field's astroturf and you weren't allowed to smoke out there because if you dropped the cigarette it would melt the turf and and so he had to sneak it and and one time he's talking to us and and while he's talking i'm telling you no mongoose and a cobra ever moved quicker than Bob Young's hand that snatched that cigarette out of Hannafin's hand and rolled over and on the bench, he's taking a drag. Hannafin is crawling over Dobler trying to get to Bob Young to get his cigarette back. And I'm sitting there going, you know, this is great. I got two tall Jones out here on the field and I got my left guard and my coach fighting over a cigarette in the middle of the second quarter. Thanks guys. Oh, I can just picture it too. Oh. oh, when Bob Young sat back up and Hannafin got that cigarette back, I looked at Bob. He was the happiest guy I ever saw. He looked like a kid. Santa brought him a bike Christmas morning. That kid was no, he couldn't have been happier than Bob Young getting two drags on Hanny's cigarette. You know, he lived a full life, yet when the news hit, it hit a lot of folks, yourself included, really hard. So, there's still, a, I think you're quoting to Jim Thomas was the world's more fun when he's in it. Well, that's, that's for sure. He, he, uh, um, I, I, I never met anyone who had such a combination of, of intellect, of, of different things that make a human being interesting. Um, Jim was a loving family man. Uh, he, he loved people. Uh, you know, some people would look at a room and they scan the room to see if there's someone they know so they can gravitate towards that person and feel comfortable. Uh, I don't think that ever crossed Jim Hannafin's mind. He would walk into a room and if he saw 50 strangers, he'd it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter to him at all. He because by the by the end of the evening, he probably would have shared a moment with everybody in there and relished every second of it. When did the Thanksgiving tradition begin? Well, uh, uh, in the mid seventies, um, a lot of the guys uh, back then lived in apartments, and uh, because they they lived elsewhere. During the off season, this was back when when we played the last game of the season. We didn't see each other again until the first day of training camp. So everybody who didn't live in St. Louis, they all went home. So I was one of the guys who lived in St. Louis year round. So we just we had I had a house. So it just started that the guys came over to my house for Thanksgiving. And, and, and Jim came and Mariana and, um, it just, it, it, they had thanks there. They had Thanksgiving at our house every year since 19, probably 74, uh, except for the years when he was in Washington or Atlanta. It was, uh, uh, we had Jim after Mariana died, Jim would be over for Christmas dinner as well. Um, uh, it uh, uh, it just the Hannafins were family. 
And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Kilcoin Conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did talking to these folks. Just great people. Also a reminder that we had great people in our town when we had the NFL, from the Deerdorf to Pace, still live in St. Louis. Both of them do. Adam Timmerman, Dick Vermeil, just quality people sharing those stories. Their love for Hanny is real obvious. And maybe next summer there'll be a big celebration uh, the way Coach Hanny would want it. Thanks to you for tuning in. Thanks to our great sponsors, Triad Bank, on the web at triadbanking.com. They're in Frontenac on Clayton Road, based in St. Louis since 2005. So if you're a business owner, make sure you talk to them about how you could expand your business. And Marie de Villa, senior living since 1960, that great spot at the corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. Check out the giant Christmas tree that's up right now and take a tour, virtual tour, at mariedevilla.com. And our good friends at Appliance Discounters, a St. Louis success story. Started small, they've grown, but one thing hasn't changed, and that is the appliances you want, biggest names, GE Bosch, at the lowest prices. Theappliancediscounters.com. Find all the merchandise right there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Look forward to talking to you again soon.